it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is session number nine. I'm Dave Ahern, and I have with me co-host Andrew Sather. Tonight, we're going to chat a little bit with each other. we got some interesting topics we're going to talk about, and we're going to have a little fun, and we're going to learn a thing or two as well. So with that, Andrew, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you if you'd like to kick us off. Yeah, so I want to tackle blue chip stocks today, and specifically really dividend-paying blue chip stocks, because on the one hand, they are very popular, and a lot of people like to look to them. You have indexes like the Dow that are uh, made up of really big blue chip stocks, turn on the TV, people always talk about the blue chip stocks. But at the same time, you have these stereotypes of blue chip stocks and stereotypes that come along with blue chip stocks that pay dividends. And so as a big dividend investor trying to buy stocks with a dividend at a discount to their intrinsic value, these myths that I like to call and I want to address are something that I think is can turn some people off to dividend investing. And so if we can figure out that, okay, maybe these ideas aren't actually valid, then we can understand and feel more confident and additionally know what to look for when it comes to picking the right blue chip dividend paying stocks. Okay. Well, that's that sounds like a great topic. I think uh, that would be interesting for me to talk about this and learn a little bit, you know, pick your brain a little bit. And I think for our listeners, this will also be interesting too. Dividends obviously are a very big, important part of investing, and it's a great way to earn income. As you have said in the past, you know, investing for income is really kind of what we're all here for to do. I know we have some different topics that we wanted to talk about, some of the myths of dividend-paying chip stocks. So why don't we talk about the first one? Selling shares is better for income than dividends. I'd like to hear your take on that. Okay. Yeah. So this is a common argument for people who want to excuse companies that don't pay a dividend. And there are some people who take this path who believe that they are, and they're almost tricking themselves into believing that they are getting better results by selling shares to receive income rather than receiving income from dividends. 
So I want to start with this one because it's really simple on the surface. The logic behind it is that an investor might say, okay, well, the stock I just bought, sure, it doesn't pay a dividend, but it grew 20% in one year. So if I compare that to a dividend blue chip, like let's say IBM with a yield of two, one, two or three percent, you might think as an investor, well, I got a 20 percent gain, even though I didn't pay it. I didn't get paid a dividend. If I sell the 20 percent I gained, compare that to the smaller yield of the blue chip stock. You might originally think that you got a better deal. But the problem is, is and I've referred back to this before, the whole point of buying stocks, investing your money, you want to receive the income, you want to receive a dividend, but for the purpose of growing how much ownership you have of any given investment. So we're talking about the reinvestment part. It's the the dripping system that we talked about in the previous episode where you can create this sort of like coffee drip system. It's the same type of idea when you're buying dividend paying stocks. And so when you are selling for income instead of receiving the income from dividends, you're essentially just slowly chipping away at your wealth potential, your ownership. And it's just over time, not going to be a good idea, especially when stocks fluctuate, when stocks don't go up all the time. Now, Dave, I'll ask you, does a stock ever go down? Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Sometimes more than we'd like. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, you're going to be what happens in the year that you lost money. So now you could be down 10% from the 20% you were up. And then you compare that to consistent dividend payer like Procter & Gamble. The investor in Procter & Gamble, sure, they might have made a small percentage the first year, but they reinvested so they have a slightly bigger ownership. The second year... I mean, the whole stock market could tank down by 10%, but the investor in Procter & Gamble would still get their income and, again, would still grow their ownership. And that would continue to grow. It's like a balloon that's just building this this pressure, right? So somebody who's not buying a dividend-paying stock, they are, number one, instead of growing their ownership, they're shrinking it. And number two, they are really, really depending on on their results based on the timing of the market. And I think if you pick up any investment book that's worth its salt, you'll see that timing the market is really a fool's errand. And this idea that you can sell shares for income, not only is it not sustainable, but it's really just a way to deceive yourself into thinking that a growth potential stock would be better than a steady dividend growing payer. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting take on that. I guess my thought on that is, you know, dividends to me kind of equal long-term horizon. And they I think of them as something that is going to pay me down the road. You know, I think you know, when you're looking at just buying a stock or a company that doesn't pay a dividend like Fiat Chrysler for example, they don't pay a dividend. It's a great company, and I know Monish Prabhai is a big shareholder in there. He's very proud of the company. He thinks it's going to be great, but one of the things that you know shied me away from it was the fact that they don't pay a dividend. And you know, even though the company is doing well and they're growing, they're still not paying a dividend. And so it doesn't mean they won't in the future, but right now they're not. And so 
you know, as you were saying, you know, to get income from that particular company, you know, when I'm in my retirement, hopefully, I would have to sell shares of my ownership to receive that, which means, like you were saying, I'm whittling away at that pile, which means that I'm going to have less income going forward, irregardless of whether the price is up or down. And like you were saying about the timing of the stock market, you know, it's, it, it is very much a fool's errand. But dividends to me are kind of a long way, long term growth strategy. And like we had talked about with the coffee cups and kind of refilling and refilling and refilling and refilling, that's what dividends do to you is they keep, you know, the gift that keeps on giving. And, uh, it's, you know, it's a great way to help build your income. You know, I'll talk a little bit about a couple of companies that I was reading about just recently. You know, the, the, one of the myths about, you know, dividend companies is that, you know, they're, you know, they're not going to grow as much. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this here in just a second. But, you know, the dividends that they can pay, you know, some of these dividend kings and dividend aristocrats are going to pay, you know, anywhere from a two and a half to four, four and a half percent dividend every single year. And they're going to grow that over time. You know, when a company does poorly or when the stock market tanks, you're still going to be getting that income from that, from that dividend. And that's again where the dividends can be such a huge, you know, effect and have a, you know, a really lasting impact on your income and your wealth as it goes along, especially somebody like Andrew, who, you know, you're much younger than I am. You know, you have all these years to, you know, accumulate all those dividends. And, you know, I'm envious of that. And anybody else that's, you know, listening to this that's younger, this is this is one of the keys to your success is trying to grow those dividends because that's where really the true wealth is going to come from. So I think, you know, just owning a, a stock and then shell it, selling that at some point down the road, it, it's not necessarily the best idea for helping build your income when you're in retirement because that's really kind of what this is all about is looking, you know, 20, 30, 50 years down the road when I'm sitting on that beach drinking that pina colada, I don't have to worry about where else am I going to get my money from because if you are if you have Coca-Cola, they're still going to be paying you a dividend most likely if they're still around by then. I'm sure they will be. But I guess that's kind of my thought on that topic. Yeah, and before you say that, Coca-Cola is going to go away because everybody's becoming a health freak. <laughs> People aren't not going away from Coca-Cola. <laughs> They're just switching to Diet Coke. Right, exactly. Yep, I'm a, I'm a convert myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess- so I'll say this too. I mean, I like how you talk, You mentioned retirement. And I think if we, you know, the tag of our show is the path to financial freedom. So if you really examine what financial freedom is on the very, very basic again idea of it is that you have something that sustains itself so you have this what they call retirement egg and then you are receiving income from it what's great is if you can get to a nest egg that's big enough to give you basically to pay for your expenses i know this is you know 101 for some people but this is a show for beginners so bear with me there are if you can have dividend income that pays off all your expenses and you're also buying blue chip stocks, you're buying stocks that are growing their dividends over time, not only are you not killing the goose, so to say, you know, you're keeping that nest egg there, it could be potentially growing because you could be living off some of the dividend income and you could be reinvesting some of it or, I mean, the companies could just be continuing to grow on their own. So you could be enjoying all this nice income and seeing that income rise over time as the companies 
rise their dividend payments over time. And you talked about dividend kings and dividend aristocrats, and these are all lists that are freely available online that are companies that just continue to grow that dividend, and that's really a big draw to the market. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't see it for whatever reason. It, it eludes their sight, and so they use justifications like the ones that we're talking about today to, in effect, just completely ignore that there's this whole other potential out there and they're just really missing out. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I would agree with that. And I think part of it is just, I think the reason why they don't see these or ignore them is because a lot of these companies are not flashy. They're not exciting. They're boring. And, you know, boring is safe. Boring is... You know, long term, boring is patient and being patient. And it's, you know, it's not exciting to talk about at a dinner party that, you know, hey, I brought, you know, I bought 250 more shares of Coca Cola. Whoop de doo. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not exciting, but it's the way you grow your wealth is by doing those things. Uh, the next topic that I wanted to talk about was reinvesting into business is better for shareholders than paying a dividend. I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so definitely not. The model that people 
like to follow is that Berkshire Hathaway and Warren, Warren Buffett is president there, obviously. Uh, and we obviously respect him and think he's one of the best investors out there. But it's funny because if you buy shares in his company, I mean, it, it's done well for them because he's been just so fantastically successful. But I think the model itself is not good for shareholders, even though people will argue it is. So what this model I'm talking about is companies will make a profit. And once they make that profit, they have cash. And so what can they do with the cash? They can either give it back to the shareholders or they can put it back in the business to try to grow more cash for tomorrow. So, okay, why would they even pay, pay shareholders a dividend? Well, if the market was you know, more rational than it is today, I think if more investors understood the power of dividends and understood why dividends are an essential part of their just any sort of investment philosophy, then I think you would see even more companies trying to pay shareholders dividends. But because, like you said, people get attracted to the light, they get attracted to all these flashy things, they want to run to Vegas and and go to from take up that direct flight from Wall Street to Vegas and just not don't stop anywhere. So because that is the case, some of these companies get away with not paying a dividend. As a shareholder, if we essentially what I'm trying to say is if we would vote with our money and put more money into stocks that buy dividends, then they would keep more management honest and they would they would see that okay, wow, look at our neighbors. AT&T, Verizon, and Walmart, they're all paying these dividends and they're getting all of this investor capital flowing into their their stocks and their stocks are shooting up. If that were the case with the whole market, then a lot more companies would see the success there and they would emulate it and they would pay high dividends themselves to try to attract shareholders. So that's, you know, utopia, that's our ideal world. That's basically why companies pay shareholders a dividend because it attracts more dividend stock, um, more capital into the stock. The stock price goes up and all of management is happy because their stock options are higher. Their bonuses are higher, all that kind of stuff. Now, because we don't see this ideal play out in the real world, a lot of companies get away with not paying a dividend at all and reinvesting it in the business. If you talk about a business like Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, that's worked out really well for them because they've been able to take, you know, they have some machine somewhere locked up in a vault where they just take a dollar and $20 spit out. Um, most other businesses don't have that kind of technology, I guess. You know, there's, there's just not that kind of compounding and efficiency and all those sorts of things. So on the one hand, you can try to look for companies like Berkshire who are returning a lot of money based on what money is going in. But what I really believe is that it's as an investor, you want to invest in systems and not in situations. So a good system is some you. So you're going to want to have a balance. You're going to want to have some because obviously if you don't put any capital into a business, how are you going to expect to grow it? Right. If anything, your your machinery, your inventory, all your assets, your real estate might go up in value, but Machinery is going to deteriorate over time. Those are going to depreciate. Your inventory is going to get low. You gotta, you gotta feed the fire. Put some cash in there. So you're gonna, you're gonna want to 
put the cash in there and the business is going to have to make a balance between how much they're going to reinvest and how much they're going to pay out. So a business should should be buying assets that's going to create more return for shareholders and for everybody involved. The problem comes when they're doing too much of it and some companies do it to the extreme where they don't pay any dividend at all. You tend to see this in the growth stocks. I'm not going to single any of those out. There's You can always point at the successes, but understand that for every five successes, there's a hundred failures. So that's not a system you want to invest in and definitely don't want to put your money in because again, you're going on a, a non-stock direct flight from Wall Street to Vegas. Don't look back. Don't collect 200. Don't pass go. You want to get systems that are going to work. So, so now a big problem with and uh, where a system can break down again is when you allow management to make the decision of how they want to allocate capital. As a shareholder, you're essentially losing a lot of your power over what the what that money does. So understand that when you buy a stock, you're part owner of the business. That's really what it is, and a lot of people forget that again. So as a business turns a profit, everybody gets cash. Cash gets, to, you know, some cash goes back. We need to refill inventory. We need to expand. Let's buy a couple stores. Let's grow. And let's divvy out the rest to the rest of the owners. If you have a business where management isn't really getting, they're not really shareholders, so they might see more incentive to, let's say, I don't know, make bonuses much bigger for all the top execs that are there, make them way bigger than what the industry averages, or they might just not see any financial benefit and they might just be squandering it away on fancy offices or, you know, pointless expenses that really don't need to happen, but management is allowed to happen because there's no consequences behind them. So as a shareholder, really the only way you can, because, you know, we're all average investors. I'm pretty sure none of us have direct lines to a lot of these guys who run these companies. So the only, you can't control another person. The only way you can find and give yourself power yourself is to walk away. So in these situations, I'm talking about walking away from companies that don't align with the system we want to be in. The system we want to be in is a system where management takes care of their shareholders and understands that, yes, some of the money needs to go back into business and grow it, but it needs to be in a prudent fashion and there needs to be money also distributed to the owners who are sticking their necks out there, risking this money so that the company can grow. And so, like I always love to do, a very long circle to make the point that as a shareholder, you need to identify managements that are on your team and not against your team. And I believe that if a company pays a dividend and does it in a prudent way, then they're really like echelons better than a business that doesn't pay a share doesn't pay shareholders any dividends and uses the excuse that they're just going to grow the business. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. 40 pages, infinite ROI. That's an excellent point. I think 
One of the things that uh, I was thinking about while you were talking was you mentioned Berkshire Hathaway and you know Warren Buffett. Of course, you know he's one of my heroes, and I think he's an amazing person, and you know obviously an incredible investor, and far better than I'll ever be. I think you know in his case, it's a little bit of do as I say, not as I do, and. You know, I'll also maybe throw out this with him. He's kind of a special circumstance, and I know people use that as a linchpin to make their argument that reinvesting into business is better than paying a dividend because Warren Buffett does it. The thing about Warren Buffett is he's a bit of a he's a lot an outlier. You know, he is such a fantastic, you know, allocator of capital. You know, bar none. And, he, you know, like you were saying, he's been able to take that money that he has instead of giving it to the shareholders. He's been able to use that to buy fantastic businesses that have grown the value of Berkshire such that, you know, it's made it much more valuable. You know, so whenever he adds on a company like, you know, Heinz or, you know, Phillips 66 or, you know, any of these companies that he's bought recently, Apple, he started you know, making purchases of those things are going to pay off, maybe not in dividends, but you know, they're going to grow, help grow his business, which is what he's trying to do. So he's, to me, he's, you know, if somebody brings that up to me, I, I think that's more of a, an outlier as a reason why, you know, investing, re, you know, reinvesting into business is not better for the shareholders. I'll give you an example. Amazon. Amazon is an amazing company. They're, you know, a force to be reckoned with. But when you start digging into the numbers and looking at the numbers, they're not making a whole lot of money. And, you know, they their reinvestment into business is all about reinvesting for the business and all about growing for the business. They pay no dividend. They have no plan to pay a dividend. Who knows if they ever will pay a dividend? You know, right now they're in kind of not necessarily grow mode, but they're in kill all competition mode. You know, and Walmart is, you know, one of their com- competitors with the online thing. Granted, they're not really in the same league, but they're definitely on their radar and they're doing everything they can to try to beat Walmart down. And Walmart's doing everything they can to try to hang in there with them. And, you know, you could argue that. You know, instead of Jeff Bezos having this aggressive mindset, maybe it would be better served for him to look at trying to, you know, bring his shareholders along and try to grow them as well. You know, the, the stock is selling for $893 or whatever it is right now. So they're obviously not hurting, but, you know, their PE ratio is also like 150 to 1 or something. It's just stupid. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, it's not. It's not the the model that I would want as a company that I want to buy. I'm looking for companies that are going to pay me a dividend and help me when I get to retirement to buy my pina colada on a beach. And I don't think at this point Amazon, for example, is that as the company that's going to do that for me. Do I think that they're a bad company? Absolutely not. I think they're a fantastic company. Jeff Bezos knows his stuff, and he's a great guy, and he's really, really good at what he's doing. But you know, their method to their madness is not something that I want for me personally as an investor. And that's kind of you know, as Andrew was saying, a system. That's my system is to avoid you know companies like that. And like you were saying too about using my money to vote. You know, I'm voting to not buy Amazon because they don't follow the the value that I want for the business to pay me. You know, I'm when I give my hard earned money to them, you know, I want them to pay me back in some way, shape or form, whether that's a dividend or growing the company. I'd prefer it to be a dividend. And so, 
if they're not doing that, then I'll go, eh, okay, you know, maybe this is maybe not something I want to be in. So that, to me, is kind of how I would move away from that. So I guess those are kind of my thoughts on, the, you know, the reinvesting in the business. Uh, I, I love how you... I love how you said that Bezos isn't really bringing shareholders along because that's a huge, huge point to understand. You know, an investor who bought stock maybe when with the PE or when, even when the stock was like half as expensive as it is now, they might think that they're coming along for the ride, but they're not collecting dividends all along the way. And this kind of goes back to the same point we made before. So if they're not collecting dividends along the way, what happens when the stock crashes, just like you know, history has shown us all these stocks with super high PEs who have just crashed and never recovered. So what happens to an investor who bought Amazon at five, six, seven, even four hundred, and the stock goes down to two hundred or less? Or if it if the price to earnings ratio reverts down to a more reasonable number, uh, a dividend investor might lose on some share price appreciation just like everybody would but along the way they would be making they would be growing their ownership like we said they would be collecting these dividends they're still on the positive side of compounding interest an investor who's not getting along with the ride and not seeing any of these profits they're not any real profits they're all paper until you sell so now all of a sudden you're trying to be a market timer and you, even though you think you're along for Amazon's ride you're really not because you're not until you sell, and how are you going to know when to sell, and how can you really expect to have a good chance of making a good profit of selling when you're buying at a PE of like 100? Yeah, exactly. No, you're, you're exactly right. I, I agree with that. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was dividend-paying companies are maturing and not growing. Uh, I wanted to take a stab at this real quick. You know, my thoughts on that are, you know, that that's kind of, Bunk, and I'll give you a couple of numbers why I'm going to throw that out there. We're talking about quote unquote boring companies. Coca Cola, since 1964, they have grown annually 14.4% a year since 1964. I mean, the SP, I think, is at 7.63%. Uh, let's also throw out. Um, Chevron. Chevron is oil company. Kind of boring. 11.7% since 1970. Both of these companies pay dividends greater than 3%. Chevron is 4.1%, and I believe Coca-Cola is uh, 3.1%, I believe, right now. Yes, 3.1%. So, you know, these companies, so in addition to growing at 11.7%, you know, annualized over a 37-year period, they've also been paying a growing dividend for 54 years in Coca-Cola's circumstance. So longer than I've been alive, they've been paying a dividend growing every single year. So in addition to the 14.4% you would have earned for those 35, 37 years, depending on which company, you also would have had that dividend that would have paid you as well. So I challenge somebody to find me a company since 1964 that it would have grown at a you know an annual rate of 14.4% and paid a dividend of 
three to three and a half percent along the way with that that can beat that over that time period i i don't think he can and so you know to me that's you know maybe they're not maturing they're maybe they are maturing but the thing is is that coca-cola for example they're adapting you know what andrew mentioned earlier that people are you know maybe there's a backlash against you know soda companies right now and maybe there is but you know coca-cola is smart enough to realize that and they're pivoting off of that you know they're they're buying companies that are you know water companies or buying tea companies or buying juice companies because people are always going to need to have to drink something so they're just trying to find a different way of making money and that's smart um to adapt to what's going around around them and yes they may be quote-unquote mature but they're still growing and they're still adapting and they're still figuring out a way to make things happen and you know the the oil companies are going to do the exact same thing as you know different technologies and you know energies become more prevalent you don't think that they're going to be throwing a ton of money into whatever that may be whether it's you know solar whether it's wind power whether it's coal whether it's nuclear whatever it may be they're going to adapt to that as well so you know to me you know anybody that ever says that to me i just you know i i can throw all these examples at them and say yeah i'm sorry but you're wrong um i guess that's my thought on that i 100 percent agree the power of these companies as they get bigger uh, is really amazing, and there is a saturation point at some point, and you know we're all anxiously watching to see as Apple just continues to break through. Just how, at what point will they just finally saturate, as far as uh, market capitalization goes, and all the financials that go along with that? But you know, this there's that stereotype you're talking about where people think, well, if it's big, you know. And it's paying a dividend. It must be paying a dividend because it's not growing. And Dave, you already gave fantastic examples of where that's obviously not the case. And you want to define there's there's big and then there's too big. I think that's a subjective thing. Like an Apple, I'm not sure if that's too big just because we've never seen a company like Apple before. But I mean, if we look at historical market cap numbers, you can look at maybe a company like Exxon and maybe make more of an argument against that because there's only so many there's only so many gas stations, so many oil rigs, whatever that may be. And, you know, I could be completely wrong. I'm just throwing out examples. But if you want to talk about specifically blue chip stocks, the definition for a blue chip stock is really, it, you know, it varies. You can see different headlines and Media likes to call this stock blue chip, that stock blue chip. They might be wrong, they might be right. In general, a lot of people agree that a blue chip stock is one that's a large cap. So where you define large cap is, again, subjective. You could easily say something like over $10 billion. Uh, At least that's what Finviz defines a large cap as, is anything over $10 billion in market cap. So let's use that example. And I've pulled up a quick little screen. I wanted to look at these blue chip stocks paying a dividend. And so according to the myth, these blue chip stocks paying a dividend should be saturating or saturated. So, okay, I looked at one quick financial metric. Let's look at companies that have grown EPS over the past five years by over 25%. So I did that and I mean, right off the bat, we have 38 companies, AT&T, Bank of America, Altria, Verizon, Goldman Sachs. I mean, the list goes on and on. So 
if these 38 companies are able to grow their EPS by over 25% as an average over the last five years, sure, not all of them will continue that kind of growth, but this is solid evidence saying that even though these companies are swelling up and getting big, they're still able to not only grow their business and take big chunks of money, turn them into bigger chunks of money, but also at the same time they're doing that, they're taking bigger chunks of money and also giving big chunks of money to the shareholders. So you don't have to buy a stock like Apple when it was at like $2 a share or Amazon when it was like $10 a share. You don't have to find these small companies that just hit the jackpot and explode. You know, that's kind of more like trying to buy a lottery ticket if you're really honest with it. And if you look at the numbers behind how many small companies actually make it to the, the grand scale like that, and we're talking about companies not just that exploded their share price, but they've revolutionized industry and the world and the way we know it. And there's no way to predict which one that what the next innovation, what the next groundbreaking product, none of that. Nobody has a crystal ball. And if they did, we'd all be putting money into those things. So better to, instead of trying to play the guess game, why not buy the companies that are already set up? They already have the systems to take large amounts of cash, turn them into more cash and take another large portion of cash and pay it to shareholders. So like you said, I like how you said a company like Coca-Cola is buying companies and that's a good way to reinvest money into the business. So what you'll tend to find, and obviously the past doesn't equal the future, but you'll tend to find companies that have grown by large percentages over, over long consistent periods of time are able to continue to do that because from day one, management's making the right decisions and they're being smart with their money and they're buying the right companies as they grow. And so there's a good chance they'll continue to do it. The business model is probably solid and management is probably looking at companies with similar business models that they understand. So you really want to make sure you're in the right system, making sure that you're getting into a company that's treating you right. Okay. It's pain continuing to grow over time. And so you want, basically what you want to do is you want to find companies that already have these profitable business models in place, these systems in place that will compound your capital in twice over. They will compound your capital by being smart with their money and, and reinvesting it and growing the business in that way. And you're compounding your capital by collecting dividends and growing your own ownership piece of the business. Excellent. That was very well put. I don't know that I can top that. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, I, I, I appreciate the compliment. Yeah, you're welcome. No, that was, that was, those are all excellent points, and I, I like the way you, you phrased all that. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap it up for today's session. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. Hope you found some value in it. If you like the podcast and you've enjoyed what we've been doing, I'd like to ask of you to go to iTunes and give us a, a rating, give us a review. Let us know what you think. It helps grow the show. It also helps put it in front of more people that it can help. That's what we're here to try to do is help all investors grow a little bit and learn a little bit. And if you have any questions you'd like to talk to us about on the show, that's what we're here for as well. We'd love to have you. So if you are interested or have some questions you're just dying to have, us answer for you 
please reach out to Andrew or myself through our websites, and you can we can set up some time for you to get on the show. So that'll do it for tonight. We really appreciate it, and you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.